Sophie Tucker, who was one of the great vaudeville singers, billed as the last of the Red Hot Mamas, um, made this observation when she turned 69. From birth to 18, a girl needs good parents. From 18 to 35, she needs good looks. From 35 to 55, she needs a good personality. And from 55 on, baby, she needs cash. <laughs> well, money is a fact of life. It always has been. And people get very uptight sometimes about their money. I happen to be a daily reader of the comics. And uh, here's some advice that Hagar the Horrible gave to his son. Uh, he says, son, there will be times in life when everyone you meet smiles, pats you on the back, tells you how great you are. So hold on to your wallet. Isn't that the truth? In our study of the book of 2 Corinthians, we arrived last week at chapter 8. And that chapter and the next are filled with principles of giving. Principles that were lived out by the churches of Macedonia. And principles that Paul uses to appeal to the Corinthians that they should apply in meeting the obligation of the commitment that they had made to take a collection to help the church in Jerusalem. And so we're looking last week and this week at some uh, biblical principles, some standards, if you will, that ought to govern the way that we look at giving and the way that we approach giving. Uh, last week, we considered the first four principles that are in these two chapters. They're all drawn from what Paul has to say about the churches of Macedonia, and so he hopes now by bringing up their example to stimulate the Corinthians to follow through on the commitments that they'd made. So we want, I just want to go back by review over the other four and maybe kind of use them as an evaluation checklist for us. So the first one was the principle of stewardship. Here's the question for us. Do you acknowledge that God is the owner of all you are and all you have? that you're just a steward. And if you do, then what kind of a steward are you? Um, will you stand before one, God, one day before God eager to give an account for what he's put into your hands? The second was the principle of sacrifice. Have you ever given beyond what you can do easily in response to a need? Until you've answered the question of ownership, it's unlikely you'll ever give sacrificially. The third principle was proportionality. And the question we want to draw to that is, do, do you give according to the blessings of God in your life or out of the blessings? There's a vast difference in those two. And then the principle of motive. Why do you give? Is it in response to the grace of God in your life or out of a sense of obligation? Do you give because you want to or because you feel that you have to? Again, really is a difference in those two. This principle focuses on giving for the right reasons. And sometimes we just miss that. Hopefully it's not like the little boy who went to the Sunday worship service with his grandfather and before entering the church, the grandfather gave the little boy a dollar and uh, he explained that it was for the collection plate that would be passed later. Well, during the service, the minister gave an impassioned plea to help the needy and the church responded. The, the collection plates were just heaping. 
But the little boy hung on to that dollar that his grandpa had given to him. The, the grandfather uh, planned to, to admonish his young grandson after they got out of the service later. But as he exited the church, the little boy gave the dollar to the pastor as he was greeting the congregation. Somewhat surprised, the minister asked, and what is this for? Oh, the needy, the little saint replied. I want you to have it because the grandpa says you're the poorest preacher he's ever heard. So, so we want to give for the right reason. Our motive needs to be good here. I ran across something this last week. I was reading a commentary by Scott Haifman. And in this section, I want you to, I want you to listen to this because it's really something for us to think about. It has to do with our giving. He says, our job is not to prove our sincerity to God. Those who recognize God to be the giver of all things are grateful, and God knows our hearts. Instead, in chapter 9, the motivation for giving is as radically God-centered as its foundation. Far from being our contribution back to God, or our way of showing God the depth of our gratitude... Giving to others is a response to what God has already done for us in the past and a demonstration of our continuing confidence in what he's promised to do for us in the future. Giving is an act of faith in response to God's grace. As such, our giving is not a decision to participate in the projects of the church, but an expression of the fact that we are the church that is, that we belong to God and hence to one another. And I, I think I got my, my thinking a little corrected in, in thinking about what he had to say because I often think, well, I give out of gratitude for all that God has given to me. And that is true. And God does like people who have a graceful and, and a grateful heart. But I want to give because of his grace in me, not just because of his grace to me. So I, I want to I give because God's at work in my life, and this is what should motivate me then to be a grace giver. So how did you do on the checklist? You know, the, the issue really isn't have you arrived, but it's what direction are you moving? It's all about growth in our understanding and our application then of biblical truth. Now this morning we go into 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So if you have a Bible, want to turn over there. If you grab a Bible in front of you, it's page 1231, and we'll look at some more principles. 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Now, Paul begins this chapter kind of picking up where he was in chapter 8 because he's, it's another appeal that they would fulfill the commitment that they've made. And remember, at the end of chapter 8, he's talking about accountability, and there's going to be three other um, men of the church that are all commended by the church that are going to be taking the offering. They shouldn't fear that Paul's going to misuse it or abuse it or take it for himself. So he continues on and sort of in this theme. So look at chapter 9, starting at verse 1. Paul says, now it's superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia. Now, who are those people? Well, that would be people like the, the Philippians, the Bereans, the Thessalonians, those, those, those people. So I've been boasting about you to them, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. But I'm sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. This is the taking up of the collection. So that you may be ready as I said you would be. 
Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you're not ready, we would be humiliated to say nothing of you for being so confident. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you've promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as an extraction. So apparently Paul here is sending this letter before he gets there and he's bringing along some of the Macedonians who were, who were even motivated to give out of their affliction and deep poverty, that he says in chapter 8, because the Corinthians, a much wealthier church, were ready to give their collection. So he said, now I'm bringing them with me, and when I get there, I want to make sure that I'm not embarrassed, let alone you embarrassed, that you didn't follow through on what you said that you would do. So let's go on. Here's our next principle. It's the principle of sowing and reaping. Look at verse 6. The point is this, Paul says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, that's the law of the harvest. If you want to reap, reap much, you must sow much. I grew up on the farm. You know that. How many times have I given you my wonderful farm stories? But you know, one of the great things of knowing spring was coming was, was it was time to seed oats. And so, you know, we would get the, the, the oat seeds that would be in a wagon and the, and the cedar on the back of the wagon and we'd go out. But, you know, I've never seen a farmer uh, sowing oats that went out and placed one seed here and one over here and put another one over here. You don't do it that way. You just broadcast the seed. You spread it everywhere. And I'm sure in, in, in Paul's mind, he has the picture of someone who sowed seeds in his day. You'd walk with a bag over your shoulder and you simply threw it out. You didn't put one here and one over here. It's, it's the law of the harvest. You reap what you sow. But now here's the rub, folks. The harvest doesn't mean that God must return the dividend in dollars. The Bible does not teach a prosperity gospel. You give a dollar, and then the Lord's obligated to give you back a dollar fifty. It's not there. Uh, that's the manipulation of the proponents of the health wealth gospel. You know, does that mean that God never blesses financially? I didn't say that. But that's not his primary concern. And that's not his primary purpose in the lives of his children. Because you see, there's a danger there that we try to manipulate God into being our cosmic stockbroker. And so we bargain with God, okay, I'm going to give you this, and you've got to double it. God's blessings today in response to grace giving, I think, are primarily spiritual. It's the rewards of obedience and generosity. It's things like the fruit of the Spirit. It's the growth of your faith and your inner life. It's the joy of being a channel of blessing to other people as you give. It's, it's the confident assurance that you are living out your faith in tangible ways. It's a growing dependence upon God to meet even your financial needs. That's the fruit of giving. The Bible has a lot to say about generosity. I'm going to just give you a couple examples out of the Proverbs. Proverbs 11, one gives freely yet grows all the richer. Another withholds what he should give and only suffers want. Whoever brings blessing will be enriched, and the one who waters will himself be watered. In Proverbs 22.9, he who is generous will be blessed, for he gives some of his food to the poor. There seems to be a clear principle that generosity is a hallmark of the life of one who understands the grace of God in his or her life. Here's another one, the principle of supply. I want to pick up at verse 7. 
Paul says each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. As it is written, he's distributed freely, he's given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way. I think what it's saying is that if you're available to God as a, as, as, as a channel, as a conduit for giving, and if God desires to use you in that way, then he supplies the seed. He's the one that's responsible. It goes back to recognizing that all I have has come from him and his gracious hand. And did you notice the emphasis is that he supplies, he multiplies, he increases, he enriches. It's based upon the grace that God causes to abound to you. But God will make you adequate for every good deed that he has for you to do. See, he, I think sometimes we need, and we're going to go back to the book of Deuteronomy in a second, but we just need to be reminded um, of both our role and God's role, and then the responsibility and the warnings that come with it. So let's go back to the book of Deuteronomy. Keep your finger in 2 Corinthians. Go back in the Old Testament, book of Deuteronomy, chapter 8, if you've got a seat back Bible, page 194. And the people are about ready to go into the promised land. They've, they've finished their 40 years of wandering because of their disobedience. And now God is, is, is telling them about the land. And, and there's also a warning that's in here, but it's a perspective thought as well. Deuteronomy 8, I'm going to start reading at verse 7. We read, For the Lord your God is bringing you into a good land, a land of brooks of water, of fountains and springs flowing out in the valleys and the hills, a land of wheat and barley, of vines and fig trees and pomegranates, a land of olive trees and honey, a land in which you will eat bread without scarcity in which you will lack nothing, a land whose stones are iron and out of whose hills you can dig copper. And you shall eat and be full and you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he's given you. He's simply telling them what he told them 40 years before, all that's in this wonderful land that he was giving to them. And he's saying, now when you go in, this is exactly what you're going to find. And then verse 11, take care. Watch out. Beware, lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I command you today. Lest when you are eaten, when you have eaten and are full and have built good houses and live in them, and when your herds and flocks multiply and your silver and gold is multiplied, and all that you have is multiplied, then your heart be lifted up. And you forget the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery, who led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its fiery serpents and scorpions and thirsty ground where there was no water, who brought you water out of the flinty rock, who fed you in the wilderness with manna that your fathers did not know, that he might humble you and test you to do you good in the end. Beware lest you say in your heart, my power. And the might of my hand has gotten me this wealth. You shall remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to get wealth, that he may confirm his covenant that he swore to your fathers as to this day. 
We need to be reminded that it is God who has given you the ability to gain wealth. And if God has blessed you with wealth, God bless you. Be responsible and faithful in what he's given you. Be grateful and do not become proud that you think somehow I, I, just, I just did this. You know, it's hard today because, you know, you all are very talented people. You're very gifted people. You know, you, we can make it easily through a day, can't we, often without even thinking about God. But this is our problem. Our heart is lifted up and it becomes proud. And we need to remember this God who gives us the ability to do these things. So be glad, be rejoicing what he's given you. Paul says, God is the one who gives you the seed for sowing. Now listen very carefully here, because I think Christians kind of go off the rails sometimes. God is going to hold you accountable for what he has given you, not for what he's not given you. I so often observe in some Christians a guilt that is either self-induced or others-induced in the subject of giving. Um, you know, you don't have the resources to give, and so you feel guilty. Um, others make you feel guilty. You know, some television preachers excel in generating guilt in people's lives. One of them, some time ago, used to exhort, or I should say extort, um, people to make a vow of $1,000 to their ministry. If you didn't have the money, you were to trust God anyway, and you were to give it, and you were to believe that God would reward you for obedience. I don't know if those givers ever got rich, but the preacher sure did. And we need to be watching for that, that we're not giving out of guilt. And this is particularly true if God hasn't supplied you the seed to give. Now, does that mean I never sacrifice? No. But sacrifice is giving up something you already have or had planned on getting. It's usually a lifestyle issue, not a basics uh, of necessities issue. I mean, I know people who have refinanced a house or taken out a home equity loan to support ministries. Is that wrong? I don't think it is because they were able to repay it. They knew they could repay that loan. So sometimes there is a way that we can give beyond what we have or we can say, God, I don't have this, but if you supply it, then I'm going to give it to this need or that. But that's another thing to induce people to recklessly and thoughtlessly give what they do not have and what they don't ever expect to have. That's why I love when we came up with the theme for our first uh, capital campaign for our worship center way back in 2005, and it was titled, With a Willing Heart. We give willingly when God supplies, and then we respond in that way. The book of Philippians, I, I love this. It's sort, of a, it's sort of a missionary thank you letter from Paul to the church of Philippi. Um, they had sent him a gift. And, and part of that letter is a thank you for that gift. And, and let me show you from Philippians 4.10. Paul says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at length you revived your concern for me. That is, they're going to support him. You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Paul wasn't criticizing them for not giving before. God had not supplied them with the means but now look a couple of verses later in that passage. Paul says, but I have received everything in full and have an abundance. I am amply supplied, having received from Epaphroditus what you've sent, a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice while pleasing to God. And my God shall supply all your needs according to his riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Now, Christians take that last part of that verse and they, they apply it in a very broad way. 
Uh, and that's okay. There are many applications you can draw, but let's not miss the interpretation, what it was that Paul was saying, because the context is related to giving. And my God shall supply all of your needs according to the riches you have. Why? Because God supplied you with the seed and then you gave. We have to be sure we see it in its context there. Well, let's go on to another principle. Here's a principle of blessing. I want to read again, starting at verse 11. You will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. For the, for the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. Do you notice there's a twofold blessing there? The first is that it's a blessing to other. Paul says, fully supplying all the needs of the saints. Secondly, it's a blessing to God himself. He says, thanksgivings to God. God is blessed when we give. How's that for an amazing thought? Okay, think about that a little bit. When we give with the right motive for the right reasons, we bless God. In some way, God is blessed when we do that. So see, our, our giving then results in two things. God uses our gifts through the channels of his people to help meet the needs of others, physical as well as spiritual, and they are blessed. Secondly, the result of our giving is that there are thanksgivings, there are expressions of thanks and gratitude to God. Now I must say that probably like some of you, I weary of getting so many appeals for money, Okay. Hold on, folks, it's year-end giving time, okay? You know, sometimes I feel like doing what Mark Twain once said. He was so sickened by the long appeal at church that he not only didn't give what he planned to give, but he took money out of the plate as it went by. <laughs> now, I don't recommend you do that, but we certainly can feel that way. But as I suggested last week during our dialogue time, you know, when we hear of a need, maybe rather than complaining, oh, not another one, it should be thank God for how you're using people to meet those needs. And then you determine between you and God whether he wants you to be a part of doing that or not. You know, with, with the proliferation of ministries, which are great, doing all kinds of wonderful things, rather than thinking, oh, not another one, let's be grateful for all that God is doing, for how he's put it into people's hearts to do something different. But then don't feel guilty. You go before God and say, God, do you want me to be a part of meeting that need? You want me to be a part of supporting that? You determine that in your heart and in your mind. Now, here's another one, principle of glory, verse 13. Paul says, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Isn't that interesting? Giving brings glory to God. How does it do that, according to Paul? It's by the proof that your confession of Christ is genuine and that your giving is characterized by grace. It's demonstrated by liberality. We keep saying this over and over. You know, giving is an act of worship. It's just not a filler before the sermon. We worship in our singing as we turn our thoughts to God. We worship in our fellowship as we represent Christ to one another. And, and we worship in our giving. Uh, it's an act of declaring that God is worthy. God is worthy of receiving back what he's given to us. Now, one last principle. It's the principle of unity. Verse 14, he says, Well, they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you. 
Giving contributes to unity within the body of Christ because God uses one member to help another. And he says the saints in Jerusalem were united together with the hearts of the Macedonians and the Corinthians as they give their gifts to help out. It's all testimony to the grace of God at work in both the givers and the recipients. You know, together at Knollwood, we work to accomplish the task that God has given us as a church to do. And, and a part of that is accomplished when we give. But we are built up together in a sense of unity. We've seen that from the very beginning back in 2005 when we just even began to talk about, you know, a building program and how it's unified our church through all of these years. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen such a, such a demonstration of unity as we moved ahead in this next phase of building out the family center. There's something about when we're all under the yoke together and however God has blessed us to give, but we do it together. And there's a unity then that comes out of that. Well, let's run through the principles. Let's just review them. So there's principle of stewardship, of sacrifice, of proportionality, of motive, of sowing and reaping, of supply, of blessing, of glory, and of unity. That's all of Paul's teaching in these two chapters. Now, do you feel under guilt or under grace? The conviction of God will produce grace giving, not guilt feeling. But at the same time, I hope God uses his word to speak to you about how you are to view giving as one of his kids. Let me remind you of the words of Warren Wearsby. Giving is not something we do, but something we are. Giving is a way of life for the Christian who understands the grace of God. So, thinking back on Paul's earlier instructions in 1 Corinthians 16, and then here in these two chapters... Here's my suggestion to you, and this may be a part of your thinking, a part of your life already, if it is great, just, just tune me out here for a moment, but be, be intentional in your giving. Be purposeful. Determine just between him and you, and if you're married with a spouse, uh, you know, what God wants you to give, how much he wants you to give, how much are you able to give. That is strictly between you and God. But then, as Paul would say to the Corinthians, then follow through, give regularly, give consistently, give generously. That's what demonstrates the fact that God is at work in our lives. Um, and so that's sort of the, you know, the, the final advice as that comes down to you. Now, let me just wrap up this whole area of giving with one final thing. Paul adds a concluding thought in this chapter. It's a statement that needs to stand as a banner over everything that he's written. Here's what he says. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. Kent Hughes notes that this is the first time that this word appears anywhere in the Greek language. Paul was searching for a word to, 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 to say about this gift that God's given to us, and he couldn't find one in all of the Greek language, so he made up one. It's a made-up word, inexpressible, indescribable. Um, this, is, this is what God has done in Christ, giving us his son as a gift to us. And he says, it's so amazing, I, I can't describe it. I can't even express what this gift is. 
So we see that how God has modeled giving in his son Jesus who came to earth to pay the price for our sins. Uh, this is the greatest gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Uh, again, God's amazing motive in this is love. Desiring to restore us into a relationship with himself. And so he gives this wonderful gift. And everything that we do, everything that we give needs to flow out of that gift that he's given to us. So this morning, if you've trusted in Christ as your personal Savior and Lord, and that's most of you here today, I'm sure, God desires that your life would be characterized as a giver. Whatever that means for you, time, talent, treasure, God says, I want the heart of your life to be that of a giver. Now, if you're here today and you haven't trusted in Christ, what does God want from you? He wants you to give him your heart. He wants you to respond to how much he loves you and this wonderful gift that he's given to you. Uh, that's the greatest response you can give to him. He's already given the greatest gift to you. That's his son. And just says, would you just open up your heart? Would you receive me? Would you trust in me? Would you set aside any other way for salvation other than believing in Jesus? That's, it's as simple as that. Well, would you pray with me? Father, thank you for uh, your word. Sometimes it's very um, discomforting as well as comforting. Uh, we tend by nature to be self-preserved, uh, to be self-possessed, to be self-centered, Lord, you desire that your people would be generous people with their time, with their talents, and with their treasure. I thank you for how that's been expressed in so many different ways over the years here at Knollwood. How I thank you for the people of this church, for their history, uh, and for their generosity. May we simply abound even more uh, because of what you've done in our lives. May we indeed respond out of the grace that you're at work in us. And because of that, we just can't help but asking you, Lord, how do you want me then to return that? So bless us, Lord, as we'll be going from this place in a bit. Uh, may we be uh, free to give encouragement and comfort, whatever uh, the situation calls itself for this week, that we might be instruments of your grace to others. And so these things I pray in Jesus' name, amen.